Sylvia, and this is Out Loud Gizmo, a saying my dad made up. This is a storytelling podcast where you will experience excitement, laughter, reality, and mind-blowing adventures. Well, today I'm going to use the Zoom family meeting conversations again with my brother Edward, sisters Andy and Brenda, me, and Uncle Bill this time, before, in the middle, and after the chapters. So let's go. A town just north of where Daddy was born is called Piggott, Arkansas. Piggott? Pig, pig, it. P-I-G-G-O-T-T. Oh, okay. In England... That's where our name came from, Piggott. I don't like that. Why? <laughs> pig. Oh. Oh, everybody call you a pig? We had enough trouble, didn't we, in school? Yeah. And why did we? I mean. Well, Daddy did. Remember what yeah, he said? I know it. He said they called him Davy Crockett. <laughs> yeah. They called him. Picket Fence. And Patches. Because yep. he had patches on his jeans. you remember that, Bill? Yes, I do. Chapter 11. FDR created jobs for young men called C.C.C. Civil Conservation Corp. The boys were paid $30 per month. $25 was sent home to their folks, and they got to keep $5 to spend. I asked Papa if he would sign for me to go. He said he would. When they recruit a bunch of boys, they would send them out of state, so the homesick boys wouldn't go AWOL as much. Skinner Tucker wanted to go, so we went to Lubbock to see what the specification was. All you had to be was 17 years old and 120 pounds. Skinner weighed 115 pounds, and the recruiting officer said, Sonny, go home and gain 5 pounds, then come back. So, we went to a grocery store and bought a stock of bananas. Skinner ate them until they were coming out his ears. Almost three days later, we went back, and Skinner said, I am back. And the man said, you have got to be kidding. So, he put him on the scales, then, he looked at Skinner, and said, you want this job pretty bad don't you? He said, yes sir. The man said, you're one pound short, but I am going to let you in. You two boys, fill out these papers, and take them home, and get them signed by your parents, and be ready to leave here tomorrow. Mama said, if we didn't need the money so bad, I wouldn't be giving my consent. This is October 1935. The next morning, we went to Lubbock and turned in the papers, and by noon that day, we were on the train, headed for some place, unknown. We went along with 40 other guys from Lubbock County. We rode the rest of that day and night, and early the next morning, we pulled into a little town called Pima, Arizona, and the man in charge said, this will be your new home for the next six months. We loaded onto two army trucks, waiting for us. Camp was only two miles from town. We pulled into camp and got off the truck and had to face a hardball sergeant, barking out orders, fall in single file. Well, we did and marched through a building and got our clothes, GI, issues. We had to listen to that loud mouth sergeant when in camp. Every morning at 5 a.m., we would load on the truck and head for the mountains where we would build check dams and plant grass to stop erosion. They would split us up into five-man crews. Why? Five-man crews, you ask? Well, the fifth man was in charge, and that was me. 
I was the only one that would take the job. Anyway, we would pick up rocks, on stretchers, like carriers, and place them, in a straight line, across a wash, one on top of the other, until we had it as high as we wanted it, then fill in, behind them, with smaller rocks and dirt. We would set out grass on top, then we would go on, to the next wash. The man in charge of soil erosion work would go around all the places where erosion work was being done and inspect your work. On weekends, the recreational department would take a load of men on sightseeing trips. One Sunday, we went to see the cliff dwellings west of Pima. On another, we went to Coolidge Dam. On another, we went to the top of Mount Graham, where I liked to froze to death. It was hot when we left camp, so I took only the shirt I was wearing. But when we got to the top, it was snowing. Live and learn. We would go on lots of night trips to skating rinks, dances, and picture shows. One time, I was sound asleep, about 8 p.m., when a guy, I have forgotten his name, came and turned my bed over. He didn't think I saw him. But, when I got my bed straightened out, I walked up and down the aisle, pretending I was looking for someone down the aisle from him. Then, I turned, walked back to his bed, and caught it by the rail, and flipped it over. It would have been real funny, but that loudmouth sergeant came in at the same time. I thought, oh dear. He said, pick it. That will get you 14 days KP, starting at 4 a.m. I said, yes sir. It wouldn't have been so bad, but the 14 days is through Christmas and New Year's. One thing, for sure, I got plenty to eat. I got a letter from Mama. She said, they sure were thankful for the money that they get every month from the CCC. She also told me, Viva's got a boyfriend. His name is Leroy Hathcote. They call him Heavy. I don't know where they got the name, Heavy. He's not very big. He came here with his folks, from Oklahoma. A little later, I got another letter from Mama. She said Viva and Heavy got married and live in Mr. Schaefer's rent house. I am getting more homesick every day. I think I'll get out of this place in April. That will be six months. I think Skinner is staying nine months. I'll make sure I don't turn any more beds over. I'm just about to finish my KP duty. If they knew how many plates I have broken and threw in the toilet, they would keep me here another three months and probably on KP. But that won't happen, I hope. So, on April 1st, 1936, I got my release papers and a train ticket. Then, I went to Pima and caught the train to Lubbock. It took about two and a half days. Seems like we stopped at every wide place. But we, I mean I, finally got to Lubbock. Then, I hitched a ride to Posey. When I walked into my house, I said, Hi, Mama. She almost fainted. I told her, I couldn't stay any longer. I was too homesick. She said, glad you came home. She couldn't see me very well, but was so happy. I grabbed her, and she put both hands on my face, and said, you've been shaving. I said, yes, Mama. They made me shave. They said, they didn't want to see any fuzzy-faced men around here. Mama said, when is Skinner coming home? I would like to be there at Mrs. Tucker's when he comes home. I told Mama, he will be home in three months. Then, it was around the 1st of July on a Saturday, and I was at Ed Maker's service station, and I saw Mama on her way to Mrs. Tucker's. Some of the kids told her Skinner would be home today. She found it out before I did. She was walking, with her head held like she was trying to see her way. And that ain't all. She was six months pregnant with Bill. 
I ran after her to see that she didn't go past their house. In about 30 minutes, Skinner and a friend from the CCC came up the walk. Mrs. Tucker ran out the door and grabbed him and hugged him and said, I am glad you're home. I don't think she even noticed his friend, Cheesy Taylor. Well, Mrs. Tucker was fine, so I walked Mama back home. I'm, I'm imagining this, the drill sergeant at, at the 3C camp saying, Pickett, that'll be 12 weeks. Remember, he did 12 weeks of KP duty. Yeah. He turned a bed over. I went to Google Earth on, to Pima to try to find the ruins. And I think I know where they are, but they said they saw the ruins. And Well, I've been through Pima many times. I don't remember hearing or seeing anything about ruins. I guess you could look it up online and all the ruins in Arizona, probably be a long list of them and it might mention it there. What is it? The ruins of where daddy went to school? Oh, where he went to 3C camp in Pima, Arizona. Oh, okay. You may not know this, but that's where most of the cotton that's grown in West Texas and whatever was derived from the cotton patch in Pima, Arizona. Yeah, Pima cotton. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Know yeah. You know what's interesting? He says that the CCC guys were paid $30 per month, $25 was sent home to their folks, and they got to keep $5 to spend. <laughs> that was a lot of money then. Yeah. Remember, he could buy a roll and a glass of milk for like 10 cents. Yep. Chapter 12 Papa is digging mesquites to make farming land out of it. I guess it's about the hardest work you can do. I went to Buffalo Lake, about five miles from home, where they are building a dam and asked them for a job. They hired me at 25 cents an hour. I bought a used bike, easy riding to work the last two miles down into the canyon. But coming home, the first two miles was a lot of walking and pushing. I worked for them until September, five days a week. I went to Jack Hayes' house. He had horses, so we went horseback riding. We would go down Gentry Lane. That is a road where almost everyone's name who lives on it was Gentry. That's the way to get to a place to ride in the canyon. Riding horses for fun didn't last very long. Mr. Hayes bought a 1927 Chevrolet, and he let Jack use it to go to a softball game in Slayton. We parked just as close to the field as we could. I think Slayton was playing Wilson. There was two of us. I took Wilson, he took Slayton. The losers had to buy the brew. So, in the ninth inning, Jack's team had to get a hit to win. But the guy at bat struck out. Then, Jack hit the windshield with his fist in disgust and broke it from the point of impact in all directions. I said, we will forget about the drinks cause you have to buy a windshield. So, we went home. On the way home, I said, Jack, what are you going to tell your dad? He said, what do you mean? You boys saw that foul ball hit the windshield. We were lucky it didn't come on through. I guess Jack pulled it off cause Mr. Hayes bought a new windshield. Stinson Ballin came by in his dad's Model T Ford and picked up four of us and we headed for Slayton. Three of us in the back seat started jumping up and down in rhythm until the wheels came up from the ground. Stinson was a good sport. But he said, you might blow out the tires, then we will all have to walk. We didn't have to go out and drink to have fun. Otterl Patterson and me went to Dallas to the Texas State Centennial. 
1836 to 1936, it looked like an oversized state fair. Well, Mama gave birth, again, this time, to another little brother, Billy Burl, born on August 1936. With everyone taking turns looking at him and holding him, I heard Mama say, I am so happy for David. Now, he's got a little brother, again. Mama didn't have a rocking chair. I remember her rocking Bill in a straight back chair. Bounce, bounce, bounce. It was enough to keep from shaking his dinner out of his mouth. Then she would stop rocking. And Bill looked around like he was trying to say, I guess the rough stuff is over. Then I would reach over Mama's shoulder and pop his dinner out of his mouth and he would give me a funny look. Then Mama would say, tell David to quit that. I hadn't seen her so happy in a long time. sick with a cold and it got worse and turned into pneumonia so we had to put her in the hospital a friend of mama's mrs carol kept billy for us she had a little boy about the same age as bill so she had her hands full to say the least i stayed at the hospital during the day the last day i asked her if she wanted anything and she said she would like to have an ice cream cone so, I asked George Hayes to take me to the drugstore. I bought an ice cream cone and took it back to her. She was too weak to hold it by herself, so I held it and fed it to her. Then, I told her it was getting late so Papa would stay the night with her and I would go home and stay with the girls, Inez, Ruth, Virginia, and Betty. I told her that Mrs. Carroll was keeping Billy and she said, I'm glad. I didn't know it then. It would be the last time I would see her alive. I went home to Posey about five miles from the hospital. Viva was in the same hospital having her first baby, Edna Lee Hathcote. Then, that night, about 3 a.m., January 7, 1937, a friend, Mr. Varner, woke me up and said, David, your mother, passed away this morning. She never lived to see her first grandchild. We had her funeral at a holiness church that she was a member of in Slayton, Texas. Ed Maker loaned me his car to take the family to the funeral. Viva didn't get to attend. She was still in the hospital. After the funeral, we buried Mama at the Slayton Cemetery. Then, we went home to Posey and started the process of learning to live without her. It wasn't easy, but it was God's will, and we did it. Well, the last part of chapter 12 is very sad for us, where our grandma and mother for Uncle Bill died and it's very difficult for us to talk about. But we realized that Daddy spoke very well describing what happened because he was there. And that's all we needed. Now for the rest of the Zoom meeting discussion. Here goes. Daddy went to 
the CCC yeah. and grandma, he said, couldn't see very well. But when he got home, yeah. he walked in the door and talked to her and <laughs> she almost fainted because she couldn't see. Yeah. Didn't know who it was. And she heard his voice. Yeah. And then she, she felt, felt his face. In his face. She, says you shaved. Right. Yes. <laughs> and he said they made a shave there. So it made it appear to me that she couldn't see him good. She felt him. And that's true. Brenda, you were there with me when we were at Ruth's house in Oregon and she was 91 or two at the time and she's 95 now, but she said she couldn't see very good. So Ruth had to lead her around like to get the eggs or whatever on the farm. Please come back to hear all of the many different stories of my dad's life. Each chapter and episode will take you on adventures as he grows up. And don't forget to press subscribe so you can come back and listen to the real life stories. Because I want you to be able to envision his world through your ears. And goodness gracious, out loud a gizmo, you're in for a wonderful adventure. Bye-bye now. This podcast was hosted by Sylvia Gant. Thanks to my dad, Dave Pickett, for writing the stories. A special thanks to Uncle Bill Pickett for the piano music.